All right. Well, good, good evening. It's only getting hooked up here. It's, it's nice to be with you all this evening. It's nice to see you again. And it's been a couple years, so it's, it's just nice to have some semblance of normal uh, to, uh, to, to remember the, the good news of the gospel together and um, to meditate on the gospel. I know as we're going to turn in a moment to 1 Samuel 17, it's not a traditional Maundy Thursday passage. But Maundy Thursday is about Christ's commands and, and all of the disciples, like we just sung, looking at Jesus and being forced to watch what he does on our behalf. And so that's what our passage is about. As we come to a familiar passage, David and Goliath, it's, it's about motivating our hearts to want to follow. There's a lot of good news here. It's really cool. So let's read First uh, Samuel chapter 17. I'm just going to read the middle part because it is a long text, uh, and we'll fill in the gaps as we go, but um, I'm going to read verses 32 to 54. This is God's word. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a, a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He's spoken to us today. He's shown us reality. Let's pray. Uh, Father, tonight as we see Jesus, our, our weak champion, I pray you convince us once again that your grace is sufficient, more powerful than we expect for our weaknesses, and so that we might rise up with, with great joy, unashamed of the gospel, ready to take up our cross and follow our Savior wherever he may lead. And so I pray you would grow us in our courage today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's such a great story. It's familiar. It's a lot more violent than I remember from being in Sunday school as a kid. <laughs> they didn't put those pictures on the flannel graph, but you know, this is one of the most famous parts of David li David's life, whether inside or outside of the church. It gets the most attention. And it's often taught like this. Right? We're, we're looking for a hero to imitate, so David is the one that we should imitate. Because he's showing us how to overcome our Goliath-like fears. And if you would believe and trust God like David did, you too can slay your fears. The bullies in your life, the obstacles, the addictions, right? Pick up, I don't know if you've heard of the five stones of obedience, right, that he's put into his pocket. And then if you rise up in faith... Your fears, your failures, they will all go thud, like Goliath, down to the ground, defeated. And, you know, the passage is about our fears. It is about having courage. But it's not because we are called to be like David. I, mean, I think if, if you walk away with that, you haven't heard me. <laughs> it's a crushing way to, to, to read this passage. It's a crushing way to try and live up to to try and live up to God's spirit-filled, anointed messianic king. Right? So what it does is it ignores the context, and so we're just going to open this up and talk about it tonight. Right? If you have the picture, there's two mountains or two hills. You've got the Philistine army on one side. You've got the Israelite army on the other. In the middle is the valley. That's where the bloodshed was going to happen. And it's into this valley with Goliath, this this eight-foot-tall behemoth of a man. He's walking around with about 126 pounds of armor, right? He's jacked. He does CrossFit every day, right? He's, he's equipped with the best 
military technology. He's got attitude, he's got scorn, he's got mockery, he's able to boom his voice and rattle the bones in fear of the Israelite army. I mean, they're terrified. He, he, he sets himself up as the champion. Right? If an Israelite man kills me, we will be your servants. But if I defeat your champion, you shall be our servants and serve us. And I, I'm sure that sounded menacing to, to the army listening to these words, because that's what it says in verse 11, that when Saul and Israel heard all these words, they were dismayed. They lost all hope. They were greatly afraid, paralyzed by their fear. For 40 days, they heard this taunt, this mocking, and nobody passed the test. Nobody rose up. All right, and, and for them to be greatly afraid, it's probably a, a, a pun in the, in the original language, because um, the word for greatly and the word for strong is the same, ma'od. So instead of God's people rising up with strength, no, they're, they're strongly afraid. Right. The only thing they got going for them with their muscles is their fear. Right. And so, who do you relate to in the passage? I mean, to me, knowing myself, knowing humans, <laughs> being what we are, doesn't it feel a lot more realistic in the grand story and, and even in our context to say we are like Israel, God's sheep, who are greatly afraid, uh, the people to whom God has to say repeatedly, the, it's the most repeated command in the scriptures, don't be afraid. Uh, the, the portrait in the story that we're going to see is you have God's anointed king, that's chapter 16, David, and everyone reaps the benefits of his faith. Everyone else is afraid. Even Saul, the one who looks like he should put on the armor and slay anyone who gets in his way, but he's, he's being a wimp. And so the question we want to ask this evening is, how do these fearful Israelites, these normal human beings... <laughs> find themselves filled with courage at the end of the story. What do they see? And then we can apply that to us. How do we become strong and courageous in the presence of our real, real fears? And so I want to start by saying first, we have to deal with just these ideas of counterfeit courage that we're always running into. Right? These, these ways we try and toughen ourselves up that just, they fall short. Right, so if you look at Goliath, he's, he's an example here of, of counterfeit courage. He's, verse 4, he's the Philistine champion. He's the, the representative of all of Israel's enemies. He's, it's this great way to fight, right? I mean, if, if I'm in the army, I want someone to fight for me because then I don't have to put my neck at risk, right? It's, it's a lot less bloodshed if you really did stick to the rules where the champions fight it out and the winner, winner takes all. Right, so he is being paraded as this undefeatable champion. A lot of attention is given to his armor that we just talked about. I mean, the shaft of his spear, like it says the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Right? He's, he's throwing 20 pounds. Just the tip of it. Right? He's strong. All the commentaries point out, nope, when you read the Bible, you don't get that much detail about the armor about what anyone wears, unless they want, it's really important. 
And so I think it's the narrator's way of saying, look at Goliath's source of courage, the way he deals with fear. He puts on armor, he trusts the sword, he trusts his own strength. He's this hulking champion who seems like there's no weaknesses. It looks like there's no chinks in his armor. I mean, on the outside looking in, it looks like there's no weaknesses. And yet, we're going to see, he he falls. So, a guy named Robert Alter is this great Old Testament Bible scholar. He's taught a lot about just how do you read these things. He says, you know what this story is about? It's about two radically different ways to deal with our fears, to muster up courage. Two different ways of being a champion, of being a hero. Who are you going to trust? Your strength or God's strength? If you look at Goliath, this is, look at how he manufactures courage. I mean, he's, he's clearly full of himself, as, as we probably would be if we were eight foot tall and jacked like he was. Right? I mean, he's, he's got the best of armor. He's got the biggest muscles. He looks undefeatable. He, he's taunting his fears. He's taunting his enemies. He's boasting in himself. I mean, he mocks David and say, how dare you come after me with a, a shepherd's staff? What are you just kind of using sticks? What am I, a dog? Right? He's, he's looking down and saying, I've got the best. What do you got? Right? And then he goes on and he, he can hear the sneer in his voice and say, I'm going to feed your f- carcass, your flesh, to the birds and to the beasts. Right? It's what we do when we're afraid. He's, he's visualizing his success. Right? We have less, it's March Madness, right? We have less ways of, violent ways of threatening people. But that's what you do when you're in sports, right? You visualize the win. If you're an athlete, you visualize dropping 40 on and breaking some ankles with your crossover. Right? I played basketball. I never did that. <laughs> but I visualized it a lot. Right? The point is, Goliath is looking inward for courage. He's looking inward at his own strength, at his own abilities. Right? Are we any different today? <laughs> We don't walk around with armor, but have you, have you ever plowed through your anxiety telling yourself, just buck up, right? Come on, you got this. Don't be a wimp. Look at, look at how awesome you've done, right? Look at how far you've come in your life. Look at everything you have, everything you are, and how good you've done in the past. <laughs> Anyone ever done that before? I mean, and I did a quick Google search. How do you counsel people who are afraid? Right. And the, one of the first things that popped up came from the National Health Service in Scotland. I don't know why Google thinks I'm Scottish. It just smelled my Presbyterian nature, I guess. I don't know. Right. It's amazing. Every single one of these top ten lists is telling you to take care of yourself and to look inward. Right. Take a bath. Drink some tea. Uh, breathe through the panic. Face your fears, right? Which means you just got to buck it up and walk through it. Plow through the discomfort. And here's the visualization, right? You either imagine the worst and say, oh, well, it's not going to be that bad, and go through it. Or you visualize a happy place and use those, that happy place to give you strength to, to step out the door to do what you're afraid of. Right? Or be rational. 
because we're so rational when we're afraid. Use the logic to say, look at my gifts. You know, you do a, a resume and say, look what I'm able to do. Don't try to be perfect. Reward yourself. I mean, all these things are ways, and, and they will work for in the, in the, in the short run. Right? I'm not knocking the, some of the common wisdom. But the point is, modern people are not that different than Goliath. We may not be running around with a sword, but we're constantly telling ourselves, try harder. You can do this. We boast. We visualize our success. Imagine the win. Right? And there's a Christianized version. You've got to have faith like David. So if you trust God, read the scriptures, pray more, do all, tick all the list, all very good things, then fear will be gone. Because we're more than conquerors, those who follow Christ. Why do I have this fear? I must not believe enough. All right. Of course, the problem with Goliath-like attempts to be strong and courageous is he visualized success and his head came off. He lost, quite obviously. Right? And so if you visualize your success, if you visualize your strength, if you use that to be your source of courage, well, as Pastor Tim Keller puts, it leaves you out of touch with reality. That's what, that was Goliath's problem. He was out of touch with reality. Overconfident, unaware that there's a God in Israel whose, whose weakness is greater than Goliath's strength. So you, what happens when your fears are grounded in reality and you can't muster the courage to walk out the door? When, when fear assails you, as, as, as we sing, right, and your legs turn to jelly and your, your head's just spinning because you can't get your mind wrapped around this thing that you know you have to face, but you'd rather just run into your room and hide. And no amount of strength can, can visualize the other side of the journey. See, Goliath's manufactured courage ended with, it was a dead end, pun intended. It ended with a rock to his forehead. He got hit with reality. Saul and Israel aren't any different, are they? Watching? If they looked outside of themselves to the living God, they would have courage, but they were staring... They kept looking at themselves, they kept looking at appearances, they kept looking at armor. Forty days of being paralyzed by fear of failure. So how do you gain courage? Right, and that's what this text is going to lead us to. I mean, more accurately, what gets us as Christians to rise up and obey the living God despite our fears? Because fear doesn't go away. Risks never leaves. We're human. We live in a fallen world. And so watch, we're called to watch what the armies of Israel and what Saul were seeing. Right? That the way to courage is grounded in reality. Right? So don't try and put yourself in the shoes of David. Watch David. <laughs> Watch him win on your behalf, on, on the Israelite's behalf. Because we're like the, the trembling, self-doubting, fearful Israelite army. I'm the one who gets paralyzed by how bad it looks. What will people think of me if I don't do this right? right? I mean, we all have imaginations that bombard us every day with stories that simply aren't true. That, it's amazing. I did not expect this as a parent of young children, how quickly they just make stories up about themselves that are not true. 
exaggerate. And so God gives his fear-filled, faithless, weak-kneed people who have failed the courage test for 40 days, he sends them a champion. It's David. He's not an example in this text. He's a champion. He's a Messiah. He's the anointed one, the one God chose, not by appearances. That's the whole point of chapter 16. God looks at the heart. He looks on the inside. He is God's Holy Spirit-filled chosen champion to rescue God's fear-filled people. And you look at how this works, right? If David is God's champion, the fate of all Israel depends on the outcome of this battle. David represents everyone there. If he loses, they become servants. If he wins, they emerge victorious. And God has also put his reputation at stake, right? So David says that all the ends of the earth will know that there is a God in Israel and that the battle belongs to the Lord. What happens if David loses? (laughs) What will all the earth know? So how does David win? It's through weakness. It's not what you would expect. PCA pastor Ralph Davis points out the story is all about mocking. One of the most repeated words is about mocking, this Hebrew word that's repeated in various forms. Uh, Defying, taunting, scorn, mocking, right? It's what fear does. It mocks people. It mocks us. And what David goes through as God's anointed weak servant, that's right, he's mocked for his weakness. So verse 28, David's the youngest brother. He gets no respect from his family. David hears Goliath's taunts, and he's the first one to inject God into the conversation. And he says, who is this guy that he would defy the armies of the living God? And his brother says, and I can paraphrase, right? You don't belong here, you pipsqueak. Go back to your sheep, right? Go back to to your nobody life, to your nobody sheep. David being the younger brother is something along the like, what, am I not allowed to talk? All right, sounds like a youngest brother. All right, this is the first time David ever opens his mouth in scripture. Right? And he's, he's defending God. He's the only one bringing God into the, into the battle. And his family mocks him for it. Second, Saul looks at David and says, you have no experience. Right? He looks at his outside. He looks at what he's got, what he's bringing to the equation here, and says, nope, I don't think you can do it. You need my armor. You've got to fight like me. as the guy who's not fighting. <laughs> right? so functionally, he's saying, you're going to be like a lamb led to the slaughter, but the Lord be with you. Because he he gives him his armor, he gives him his weapons, he says, you need strength. Saul sounds an awful lot like Goliath. Saul's looking down on on David's weakness here. And then Goliath, of course, right, he has no respect for anyone except himself. Uh, You're tiny, you're strong, you're bird food. You've got a stick, what are you going to do to me? See, everyone in the story sees David's weakness as a liability except for David and except for God. Because David doesn't win in spite of his weakness, he wins through his weakness. So that all Israel, everyone watching, would know the battle belongs to the Lord. David is God's weak champion who endured the shame of weakness in order to deliver God's people 
from their inability to conquer fear, to defeat their enemies, specifically their fear of death, right? Because if they blow it, we're all, I'm going to die. <laughs> right. Of course, it gets better. David flings the stone. That's the, the beauty of the battle. And Goliath's ego is deflated. He's hit in the forehead. And it's with a borrowed sword, with the instrument of his enemy, that David emerges victorious. Right? And that's when courage fills their hearts. That seeing the triumph of their champion, then all of Israel's forces are filled with courage. <clears throat> they rise with a shout, and they rout their enemies. And then the skull of Goliath, right? Jerusalem hasn't been conquered yet in the story. It just says David takes it with him. Weirdest souvenir ever, right? But it, it's a testimony to God's strength through his weak servant. And here's, here's the payoff. Right? The victory of David, God's champion, is what gave them courage. It got their eyes off themselves. Their strength came when they stopped thinking about their inability and their weakness, and they saw the victory happening on their behalf. They saw God's champion win. Now, as I use all these language, I, I'm, I'm assuming and hoping you're hearing the Jesus parallels. I mean, it's everywhere. Jesus, the son of David, the better David, God's weak champion, the suffering servant, who saves God's people through weakness, who was rejected by his family. They thought he was nuts. They thought he was out of his mind. The king of that day, Pontius Pilate, right? he looked at Jesus, and there's a line from Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical, right? Not scripture. But it, it gets the idea, right? Oh, this is Jesus Christ. I'm really quite surprised you look so small, not like a king at all. Right? Because Jesus was despised on the cross, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom men hide their faces. We esteemed him not. Okay. And then on the cross, as he's achieving our, God's victory on our behalf, he was mocked for his weakness. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. You who called yourself the Son of God, save yourself. He saved others. He can't save himself. If you're the king of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll believe you. Show us strength. We're not going to believe you until you are strong. They would say, he trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Of course, Jesus is the better David. He did more than just fight for us at the risk of death. We know he was buried. He was swallowed up by it to save us from eternal condemnation and death. See, Jesus is God's mocked, weaked, Holy Spirit-filled champion who dies in our place to fight the real enemy, right? Sin, the curse, judgment, death itself. And he rose again that this is, this is visualizing the worst that can happen. This is what you're called to do as a Christian. What if I die? You're still safe in Christ because Christ rose from the dead as our champion to set us free from this lifelong slavery to death that kept us paralyzed. So you see the picture, right? If 
fear-filled people of armies of Israel were terrified, and then they saw the victory, and then they rose up with great confidence and courage to go follow their, their king into battle. What about us as Christians? Right? As we see Jesus defeat death itself. Right? That's exactly what the Psalms predicted. Psalm 110, right? talking about a future David-like king, that when this king comes into power, when he's exalted on the other side of the, the, the grave, right, the Messiah's people will offer themselves freely on the day of his power. They're going to rise up and follow. They're going to overcome their fears. Sounds an awful lot to me like a volunteer army ready to follow their captain, their king, wherever he leads to take up their cross and follow him. And that's, that's the testimony of the church that we've inherited. Those, Peter, we're, we're starting Peter in our, at hope, right? He was a, a coward. But the resurrection made him courageous to the point of being crucified upside down because he knew, he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way as my master. Right? People were heroic in the way they gave away their money and the way they, they bled in love for others and the way they honored God with their sacrifice, with their lives, with their breath, with their words. Right? It was the Christ's victory that made them strong. And so that's, that's the challenge for us tonight on Monday Thursday. Look at God's weak champion and ask for his spirit to give you courage. Right? Because if you're saved by his victory, what do you have to prove? You can admit out loud, I'm a coward. I've been terrified for all of 2020, and it hasn't gone away. <laughs> right? Because I don't want to die. I don't want to cause someone else to get sick. I mean, you can say those kind of things out loud because you're not justified by your faith. You're justified by Christ's faith on your behalf. Right? You need the perfect one to give you his perfection, and that includes him overcoming fear for you. And did Jesus, was Jesus afraid? I mean, he was definitely stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane as he looked condemnation in the face. See, when Jesus rose, you are justified by his resurrection, stamped as legally belonging to God in Christ, and nothing can change that. And we're, we're constantly afraid of losing, losing power, losing money, losing loved ones. I mean, it's a very real fear. Right? But the resurrection gives us hope hope of, well, that should I fail, should I die, should the worst happen, this life is not the end. Right? That's what Peter's trying to get Christians to see in exile, that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection from the dead and given an inheritance that is imperishable. Right? It cannot die. Death and decay cannot affect it. It's undefiled. Just think about that. No selfishness will plague life in heaven. It's unfading. It will not go away. It's never going to end. Time, which is now a thief, <laughs> it'll be a friend. This life's going to go on and on. And we're, by God's power, being guarded through our faith in Christ for salvation, ready to be revealed. It's a principle that because Jesus lost for us, we, we, know, we know after death is gain. 
But that takes faith, and that takes courage to look it in the face and say, I trust that Jesus already went through those gates for me, and he broke them. So what are you afraid of? What do you need to see Jesus do on your behalf? That, that's the message tonight, because as you see him emerge victorious, it's going after your heart to say, I want to follow a king who would love me like that at the cost to himself. Well, on this, and then we'll prepare to come to the table. <clears throat> There's a great scene in the movie, uh, The Dead Poets Society, with Robin Williams. I don't know if you've, any of you have seen it. Um, Robin Williams is a teacher who's trying to show the beauty of literature and, and how to live life well, how to stand up for the right thing, and he's often using poetry. And uh, I didn't get poetry in, in high school at all. I just said, yeah, that's a lot of words, and I want to think about it. <laughs> but that's what this movie's done, it's trying, doing. It's trying to instill courage into these students' lives. And what Robin Williams does as he is getting fired for standing up for what is right to love these kids, um, as they see him fight for them, that's where they find courage at the end. Right? And as the sh this shame teacher who loved these students is walking out the door, <laughs> um, that's when his students turn back, some of them, not all of them. And they start standing up on their desks and quoting a poem by Walt Whitman. Right? Oh, Captain, my Captain. No, Captain, My Captain is a poem all about the captain of a ship who died so that his, his crew could make it safe to shore. Oh, Captain, My Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near. The bells I hear. The people all exulting. Well, follow eyes, the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But, oh, heart, heart, heart. Oh, the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. Right. That's the, if someone suffers on our behalf right, and dies, that motivates, if someone just suffers for me, that motivates me to want to like them, <laughs> to trust them. But what about someone who gives up their very life so that you may live? And then says, there's more. You rise up and say, oh, captain, oh, captain, lead me, command me. As Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May God's weak champion give you the courage to love one another as Christ has loved you. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we, we thank you for this faithful love, this, this conquering love that in Christ we are more than conquerors. And we have this great news that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the one who by choice despised the shame for the joy set before him so that he might have us. And I pray tonight as we come to the table that you would strengthen our, our, our weak knees as we behold our God, and, and you would leave us here more confident in the grace we have received in your Son, ready and willing from now on to keep your will, uh, to, to, to do what you've commanded. And so I pray for everyone here who is afraid, Lord, that you would 
you would comfort us, you would challenge us, you would convict us, uh, that, that we would be faithful as Christ has been faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.